Welcome to the Practical Family Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Bryant, and Practical Family exists to help families just like yours to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Today on the podcast, we are going to be addressing the issue of suffering. My guest today is Kate Merrick, author of the book, And Still She Laughs, Defiant Joy in the Depths of Suffering. Kate will be talking about her experience reading through the Bible and discovering the stories of women who had suffered great loss, great tragedy, and she'll talk about her own experience even in the loss of her daughter Daisy Love to a three-year-long battle with cancer. Kate and her husband, Brett, are married 19 years. They live in Carpentry, California, and they actually founded the Reality Family of Churches. Kate loves to surf, she owns chickens, and she's busy with her teenager and her toddler, doing church, doing life, and staying off of social media. Kate is one of the most inspiring women that I've spoken to this year, and I'm excited for you to listen to our conversation. As we talk about suffering today, consider your own past. Consider how God has moved in your life through times of tragedy, through times of loss, and how His goodness and His grace always seems to bring us back, even to the point where we can laugh again, openly laugh again and rejoice despite these terrible things. Maybe you're going through something right now and you're like, please, Jen, I can barely get out of bed. How am I supposed to laugh? How am I supposed to find joy in this terrible, terrible thing that's happening? friend, I don't know. And I don't have the answers to that, but I know a God who does. And I want to help you to find any bit of hope that you can today, because God is a good God. He's big and he knows more than we ever will. He created us and he loves us. And I hope that in this episode, you'll find hope today. Listen in on my conversation with author Kate Merrick. So, Kate, we were talking a little bit before that, but you have a connection with my pastor and his wife. You guys go back in ministry like 20, 25 years, you were saying? Precious Waxer and Cindy. Um, Waxer was probably my and my husband's first influential Christian mentor, pastor, Bible teacher. Uh, way back in the day when we were first getting to know the Lord and going to Bible studies, I was about, what was I, 19? And Waxer had a college group called Reality, and I went to it, and it was awesome. It was so awesome. It was the first time I, you know, had ever been in a kind of a non-traditional setting, which is so uh, intriguing for a young person, you know, to see, okay, we're not just fancy and sitting with our hands on our laps, and it's not boring, and Waxer's an amazing Bible teacher, and he ended up mentoring my husband for a while, and um, he and Cindy are just really precious to us. It's so wonderful. And we, we heard of, you know, kind of what you guys were doing through the grapevine and that you've started what is now the reality family of churches. You kind mm-hmm. of church planted all over California. Are, are you in different places as well? or mostly? Yeah, everywhere. So, okay, so back to the college ministry. Um, Waxer moved to Molokai and our pastor asked Britt to take over the college group, and it was still called Reality, and so that's kind of how we got our name was um, we just kept the name, and 
and yeah, so we planted a church in Carpinteria, California, and it's called Reality Carpinteria. And now we have Santa Barbara and Ventura, the neighboring cities. And we also have Stockton, uh, San Francisco, and LA, all in California. Then we also have Boston, Massachusetts, London, England, and Honolulu, Hawaii. You do. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah. Talk about oh, and and this is really this the discipleship model. I mean, the other pastors are raised up to go plant and yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very family oriented. We don't just slap our name on a church. They, it's all very bathed in prayer. And when someone feels a call or if we feel like, Hey, God is pointing out a certain person or a certain city. Um, they drop everything. They move to our city. They ministry detox for at least six months. And mm -hmm. then they come on staff with us and it can take, uh, our last church plant was a five year lead in until planting, you know, and then we all pray as a church together for, you know, nine or so months. We do prayer tours where we go visit that city uh, as a church. We pray over the whole city and in strategic places in the city. And then after the church is planted, we care for the church plant as if it's our own baby. And, you know, financially, emotionally, spiritually, we forever we take care of them, um, of course, emotionally and spiritually, but financially as long as it takes to get on their feet. And so it's a real sweet, we don't call it like a network, we call it a family of churches. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. What a beautiful model for, I mean, church planting, for gospel spreading, for discipleship. That's, that's wonderful. So oh, I love that. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that that model with us. That's amazing. Let's start talking about kind of what's what's going on with you guys right now. Now, this podcast is, I, you know, I'm calling it how to really have joy in the midst of of suffering. And you wouldn't really guess it, being as jovial and joyful as you sound right now, Kate. But you went through something pretty hard the last few years. Um, your daughter Daisy had a cancer diagnosis and went to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as we kind of turn the conversation into more of a solemn tone, but at the same time, you've been able to find unspeakable joy mm -hmm. in the midst and afterward. And I would just love for you to share a little bit about that with our families. Sure. So in 2009, my precious little girl, I had two children. I had a, an eight-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. My daughter is Daisy. My son is Isaiah. In 2009, when she was five years old, she was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And we fought that cancer tooth and nail just as hard as we could for three and a half years. And in the end, after all the prayer and all the treatment and all the... We even took her to Israel for a few months to seek experimental treatment. And um, we did everything we possibly could on heaven and earth and on earth and in the end the Lord chose to take her and so she went to be with Jesus in February of 2013 and um, it ruined me it slayed me I just like my baby girl is gone and and you you know it threw me into a place of, of kind of questioning and doubt and does God hear my prayer and depression and I basically just sat in it for two years just sat in it just sat in grief sat in the questions and in all the whole time I mean I've been a Christian since I was 19 years old and so the whole time I'm thinking because I was 38 I think when she died yeah 38 so for all these years I'm thinking well, well who is this God that I've been loving and preaching for my whole adult life and does he love me does he see me does he care why did he say no 
what's up with that? How come everyone was praying? What did I do wrong? And um, and I just sat in it for, for two solid years. And after silence, I have to tell you, if anyone out there is, is dealing with anything, you know, suffering in any way, I feel like the silence is probably the hardest thing. And I know God has purpose in it. I, I'm not sure what it is. You know, maybe in hindsight, it's so that we continue to seek Him, you know, get through our stuff as humans and, until we're ready to hear what He has to say. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why, but the silence is hard. It's so hard. You just feel like you're banging on the door and it's just slamming shut in your face. So if anyone out there feels like God is far from them, I want you to know He's not. He's right there. And yeah, He's silent and it might feel really hard, but just stay right in there. Stay open to God. Just keep your ears open because he will speak to you eventually. And so after those two years that I spent just in deep sorrow, I just opened up the word. And um, it actually came because I, I was asked to speak at this women's conference. And I had just been saying, no, 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 no. And I felt a nudge. This one's for you. You've got to say yes to this. So I asked I asked them, okay, well, what, what's the verse? You know, what do you want me to teach? And they said, it's Proverbs 31, 25, and you can just choose. So there were three sections of this women's retreat. There was strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs without fear of the future. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, which are like some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, right? Like those are the best. Yes. And God said, she laughs without fear of the future. That is for you. I have something to tell you. And that kind of was the catalyst to really being able to listen to the Lord and hear what he had to say to me. And just to show me what joy was supposed to look like. You know, as a Christian, you're like, hey, I know I'm supposed to have joy and suffering, but I sure don't feel like it. Like, I want to cuss. I want to stamp my feet. I want to walk away. I want to run away. I want. I think that that, um, that all the things that we learn, oh, you know, be thankful in trials. And, you know, as a Christian, you're supposed to have joy in all things. And God is going to work everything out for the good of those who love him and and you think I think we're kind of conditioned to believe that that means our lives are gonna go the way we would like for them to go mm. and the fact is they don't and I think we all feel alone in that and especially maybe in this culture because we do have so many advances that that really save a lot of lives that would have been lost I mean think about it, even a hundred years ago Every mom would have lost a child at some point, you know, every, how many babies made it? What, Susanna Wesley had, what, like 19 kids and only nine of them made it or something like that. You know what I mean? It was just so much more common. The kind of suffering um, that I experienced was more common a while ago. So I think we've just been conditioned to believe that God is kind of like a cosmic vending machine. And if I do all the right things, then I'll get blessed. And I'll get exactly what I want. And um, that's a load of crap. I just have to say it's a load of crap. And it's crap mm-hmm. that we perpetuate. You know, that's not biblical. That's not what I'm seeing in the word. And so the Lord just really opened up the word to me. And I just started to look for women. And I thought, okay, well, let me let me just read about some of these ladies that were real humans. That, you know, had real experiences. And women that God saw fit to, to put in scripture. And... I saw so much pain. I saw so much suffering. I also saw a lot of faith. And so it began with Sarah. 
that verse just led, you know how one thing leads to another and you, you just listen to the Lord and you pick up those little breadcrumbs that he gives you. That verse was, she laughs without fear of the future. So I thought, okay, well, who in scripture is laughing? And obviously Sarah is famous for laughing. So I Abraham. And so I was reading about Sarah and I thought when those visitors came and told Abraham, hey, you're going to have a baby in one year. But she had already been waiting like 24 years. Mm-hmm. And so she's old. She's tired. She does not believe God's goodness for her. She's eavesdropping and she laughs to herself. But it's like a scoff. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, yay. She's like, Psh, yeah, right. I'm old. My man's old. Ain't nothing happening here. Okay. We're like, we're not even getting busy, much less having kids right mm-hmm. now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. And I was like, but wait a minute. I know that Sarah has that baby. And I skipped ahead. I think it's in chapter 26 of Genesis. Uh, that first story is in 18. And I skipped ahead to 26 and it, and. The Bible says that she's holding Isaac in her arms one year later, just like that visitor who happened to be the Lord said. And again, Sarah laughs and she said, who knew, who knew, you know, that I would give my master a son in his old age. Who knew I would nurse a baby? And she needs her son laughter, which that's what Isaac needs. And so I was thinking, wait a minute. I know how Sarah feels. I Mock the goodness of God because I don't believe it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting the answer to my prayer. Well, I got an answer and it was a no. And, but I thought, but hey, wait a minute. I see the whole scope of God's work right here. Like I see that she gets to hold that son in her arms. I see the Lord making good on his promise to her. And I even see, you know, what is written about her in the book of Hebrews, how she's in the hall of faith. And I thought, wait a minute, Sarah. If you could see what I see, the laughter in the tent that first time would be like, what? Yes. <laughs> she would have so much joy. She'd be like, we're almost there. Just one more year. Like, I can do this. God, you have heard me all these years. I thought you didn't hear me. I thought you didn't love me, but you did. And you're going to make good on that. And I thought, come on, Sarah, your laughter could be so different. And then I realized God was like, you're a lot like Sarah. You're mocking my goodness. Like, yeah, your life is hard. He's not saying it's not hard buck up or pretend like it's not mm-hmm. or yeah, you deserve better. He's not saying any of those things. He's like, yeah, dude, it's super hard, but I've got you. I love you. And it's going to be nothing compared to what comes. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just had to believe in faith that I have the word of God bound in beautiful leather with gold a rim and Sarah had nothing and I get to see hey I see how it ends mm-hmm. I believe that God says that that'll be nothing compared to what's coming and the joy that's coming and so I thought gosh if I'm rooting for Sarah to laugh differently then I sure better be rooting for myself to laugh differently and you know what's funny is Waxer said all those years ago I remember him saying you do what you believe so if I say, okay, well, I believe God, this and this, well, mm, you can say all you want, but unless you're doing it, then you don't really actually believe it. And so I thought, gosh, if I believe God's word, that he loves me, that I have a future, this present suffering will be nothing compared to what's coming, then that's where the defiant joy comes in. So I can have joy because I believe his word for me. And so that's kind of where it started was just with Sarah and just reading about these women. And I think so much of my suffering felt like I was the only one. Like I said that a few minutes ago, like, well, everyone else has it. 
so good but me, right? I think that's a lie probably all of the women I know believe. Everyone yeah. else has it good but me. Oh, yeah. My life yeah. is the only hard life. I'm seeing everyone else is perfect. Everyone else is getting what they want, not me. Well, that's not true. I just, man, I read about all these women that just had such radical, radical suffering. Bathsheba, you know, she was sexually assaulted. She lost her husband and her son in the same year. All this happened in the same year. Bathsheba, you know, and yet she has a bad reputation because we can't see past, like, the, the skim the surface of her life. thought about Sarah. I thought about um, even the women that are in the lineage of Christ, Rahab and Ruth and Tamar. All these women experienced so much suffering. And some of it was at their own decisions. And, and a lot of it, most of it was just kind of a, that's just the way their lives went. But one of the most ultimate examples was Mary, mother of Jesus, because she watched her own child suffer. And, like, no one doubts in their whole mind. Like, everyone's like, Mary, mother of Jesus. Oh, God loves her more than anyone on the planet, right? Like, if you mm. think in the whole scope of human history, who does God love the most? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that would be Mary because she's practically perfect. And I just, obviously, she's not perfect. But if I believe that God loves her, but then he allowed her to witness her son's murder. Witnessed her son's murder and live without him all those years. And let's talk about the beginning of of her journey with God. Like the reputation she must have had, you know, in her neighborhood and everyone thinking, oh, sure, the Holy Spirit knocked you up. Like you're a slut, <laughs> you know, like that mm -hmm. had to have been what was going on. It had to have been so humiliating for her to go get water at the well or to to trust the Lord. That's what God chose for her. And she said, be it done to me as you say. So these women, I thought, gosh, these women are so bold and so brave and have so much faith. And they don't even know. Like, they don't have the word of God yet. They don't see how it turns out that, that they can say yes to God, that I can say yes to God, too. And I can believe his goodness. Mm, in the midst of everything that just makes no sense to us right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I am so reminded of that verse, Kate, that how Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not hard, right? Or that sense of reality, really. The reality is, is that you will have suffering in this world. You will have suffering, but take heart because you've already overcome it. No, he says, I have already overcome it. <laughs> I know the mm -hmm. Lord, the God of the universe knows I've yeah. overcome all this junk, and for whatever reason, we're not going to try to answer, right, all the reasons. We'll never know in this lifetime, but mm -hmm. is it enough for us not to know? Just like when we look at our kids and like, do you trust me? Baby, do you, mm -hmm. do you trust me that <laughs> I'm telling you not to touch that thing, or I'm telling you that it'll be okay? Seriously, it'll be okay because I've seen more. Mm -hmm. And it's that, it's trusting the heart and the character of God and not needing to have the answers more. Mm -hmm. then we love and trust him because he's good. The people that, I mean, the people, I think we all have at one time in our lives questioned his goodness because why oh, do you sure. take these things away? Why would you allow children to suffer? I hear that more than anything. A mm -hmm. good God would not allow children to suffer. Mm -hmm. And through the hurt, being able to laugh joyfully means so much more is what I'm hearing from you and your, your testimony about you can still because, because is it because of faith? Is it because of your own faith or because of knowing something so much more, a different perspective maybe? Definitely both. 
Absolutely both. I think fundamentally it's faith. You know, it's okay. Yeah. I, I still believe you are who you say you are. I believe you're coming back for me and all those, the fundamentals of the faith and the existence of God and, you know, all those things. But circumstantially or just practically daily, it's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely all about perspective. It's all about choosing to see things as gifts or you know how you're totally completely fine with your wardrobe until you go shopping yeah. and then you go down to the Alamoana mall and all of a sudden you hate everything in your closet. <laughs> I feel like so much of life is like that. And we really, mm-hmm. I didn't even know I had an awful closet. Well, no, you don't have an awful closet. Like you just, you know, are just, you got your eyes on what doesn't belong to you. And so mm-hmm. I think when our eyes are on everybody else and on, or if we're filled with all these expectations that are not meant to be met you know I think ultimately we we look for happiness in circumstantial what can I get out of this is my husband making me happy are my children beautiful are they making me happy is my home pretty or all these surface things especially in western culture little side note I just get rocked by the whole like the abundance that we have and how we are so discontent, Mm. right? Like, are we not the most discontent bratty people on the planet and we have everything? Mm. I mean, I'm looking at you right now through a screen, like this is amazing. And there's people in Africa without shoes hauling water. And we're like, yeah, like they got my $5 coffee wrong. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, and, and and I just feel like, wake up, Western civilization, wake up we to what we have. And I think Satan keeps us blinded. I think our flesh keeps us blinded. But when we choose not to see what we have rather than what we do have, we're always going to be discontent. We're never going to be happy. I feel like it's dishonoring to God. Oh, that's just not enough. You know, and I think that is even part of the question of why some people say, well, I just can't believe in God because he let this happen. You're like, wait, hold on. Are you not realizing he gave you breath in your lungs, that he gave you life, that he put you on this planet he didn't have to? Mm -hmm. You know, people just, they curse God when things go wrong, but they don't bless God when they go right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be in that group, and I saw, gosh, that's the way I'm going. Mm -hmm. If If I am so upset about my daughter dying but I'm not so upset about someone else's daughter dying there's something wrong with me you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so like you stop and you say okay what is true what about the word of God is true if it's only true for me in America in Santa Barbara in one of the most rich towns in the whole wide world if it's not true for a single woman in a third world country then it can't be true. Like, it has to be true for both of us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like so much of, of the way we live here and what we have, it fuels the sickness in us that causes us to look around. And, and I think it can go for surfacey things like possessions and home and, and whatever. But it can also go for deeper issues like suffering children or whatever. But I think, I think that's part of what brought me around to kind of having that healthiness spiritually and being able to have that joy is to see, wait, hang on. 
I'm not the only sufferer, you know, there are all these women in the word that suffered and just, Hey man, this is, this is the world we live in and it's going to get all fixed. But as soon as I take my eyes off of myself, Mm. the joy just flows, you know, Mm. what I'm hearing you say is, is gratitude versus Mm -hmm. entitlement. And this is a hot button issue right now. Entitlement mm-hmm. is, I mean, we're feeling it. We're having a hard time training up our kids in the way they should sure. go because we feel guilty that they don't have this when we did or we didn't or something. And, sure. and it's a battle. It's a, it's a parental battle. It's a, it's a, it's becoming a real society issue now. And, and I had not thought about it as connected to even this, even this type of loss, Kate, because it's a loss or, when we feel like we are not getting what we deserve, do I deserve happiness, health, prosperity? Do I really deserve these things? And what makes me think that I do? Because I earned it because I did something or because God owes it to me? And it just, it just puts, gosh, it just puts a whole new spin on the way that we, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we identify ourselves and our purpose here on earth. And I am convinced, I am fully convinced that God didn't create us to be happy. He didn't give us spouses and marriages to make us happy. He gave them to us, to quote Tim Keller, to make us holy. Mm -hmm. And for you to come back and say, after having lost a precious baby, to say that God is still good because it's Mm -hmm. not about that. I mean, she's, she's fine. She's yeah. with him. She is. You still get to be here and trudge along until until that day when sure. you're taken to glory too. But but what God has done in your heart and in the hearts and lives of others who have such deep loss is worth a conversation. And if it if we find ourselves feeling like we deserve more in the face of so much humanity, you know, mm. what are we really asking for? Mm. Yeah. We're missing okay. what's the most beautiful you know like the child we all know (laughs) the kid they pine after the happy meal toy but you're like you don't even know you don't even know like the real or c.s lewis what does he say he's like people messed around with sex and and what else did he say you know that in in mere christianity you know that quote i think so it's like children when we mess around with sex and drink and all those things he said it's like children playing in a mud puddle when they could have a holiday at the sea, you know, like we just don't realize what we could have. And so we're like, when we choose to complain about what we don't have, we're like missing out on this gorgeous, beautiful thing. Mm. Wow. I want to bring this issue to light here just because just the fact that we're, we're talking through Skype right now, but you are like literally in the parking lot (laughs) at your church. You're Mm -hmm. not in the comfort of your home because of a specific decision you made. You guys don't have Wi-Fi at your house. Don't. And we, what is that about? Where did that start? And how are you even surviving right now? <laughs> to sound really entitled, like everyone deserves Wi-Fi, right? Everyone deserves Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, I don't want Wi-Fi. That's the difference. It's so funny. So when we moved to our house, there was the Cox Cable people. And so I called them to, to do some stuff. And then they're like, okay, so do you want us to hook up your cable? No. Wait, you don't want a cable? No. Okay, so what do you have? Do you want Wi-Fi? No, we're actually disconnecting that right now. He's like, okay, but wait. So what time should I come to your cable? What time should I come to your Wi-Fi? No, you're not understanding me. We're disconnecting the Wi-Fi in the cable. And he's like, okay, but wait. <sighs> like he could not wrap his mind. 
<laughs> so it's like this conscious decision. So at my house, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no cable, there's no TV, there is no internet access. Now, I'm not so holy. I do have an iPhone, so <laughs> I have a data plan. But it's almost like being on a diet. So if you want your pants to zip up and you don't want to be eating the chocolate cake, you get the chocolate cake out of your house, right? Makes sense, now, yes. <laughs> right? So it's like we are on a media diet. We don't want to zone out on videos all day, every day. We don't want to be sitting around watching, staring at our screen every single night. If it was there, it's just too easy. Well, let's watch more Netflix. Let's just do this. But when it's not there, you can't. Mm-hmm. And we realize there's so many other things we'd love to do with our time. Screen is not one of them. Now, if I need to shop from my phone, I can. I just can't really stream video. I can stream like a short video, but I can't stream like Netflix on it or anything like that. We, we totally watch movies. We get the DVD in the mail. We get one DVD at a time. So it's not like, oh, they don't watch any TV at all. Like, yeah, we watch a movie a couple times a week, but that's it. And so, yeah, it's just kind of like a lifestyle choice. And we went off all our social media five years ago mm-hmm. and never went back on. And because we just realized like, hey, man, who are my people? Y'all are right here under my roof. We just didn't want to be spread thin. We didn't want to constantly feel distracted, like we weren't being present. Also, kind of the whole comparison thing, I had struggled with that. When Daisy was sick, it was super jealous of all my friends on Instagram. They were all well. We were in the hospital. All the little girls had hair. My little girl was bald. And it was just awful. And I just um, really felt a conviction about that. Uh, that I was missing out on my actual life because I was looking at everyone else's and wishing that I had their life. And so it was, okay, then goodbye, Instagram, and I'll see you. Who knows? I I might never go back on. It's been five years. I love it. I love not knowing. I love hearing about something for the first time from my friend, like from her face, (laughs) you know, without... (laughs) From her actual face that I can hug her neck. I love uh, having incredible moments that I'm not sharing. Like, I love it. It feels naughty. It feels delicious. (laughs) Oh, that is hilarious. Okay, so that is defiant right there, too. That's defiant joy. I didn't even make that connection. I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, losing a loved one and choosing to have happiness, but like, choosing to love your people in front of you that is that's they're the ones they're the ones that deserve you know my first fruits and and I'm not judging anyone on Instagram at all unless it becomes a problem Mm. and that we need to I think part of how I had to deal with putting it into submission was just going off completely but I've heard of other people who have well, you know, I just, I take it off my phone on the weekend. So I don't, I'm not on Instagram on the weekends or I think it's like anything else that can become an idol, food, shopping, alcohol, anything, entertainment. It's just another way that we check out and it's just so prevalent. And I think that something like Instagram or Twitter, I think it's just deeper than that. It's deeper than, well, I'm just checking out because there's so many other things involved. There's I think there's this search for affirmation. I mean, I know it is for the for the teenagers. Like, they want to feel like they're special and they're loved. And so they're going to post this, you know, shot of them doing whatever, hoping they get 
however many likes and it's all so artificial. It's mm -hmm. all so artificial because anyone can double tap. Anyone can say, Oh, love you or send you an emoji. But like, who's going to show up at your doorstep and hold your hand when you're crying and who's going to look at you and say, you're not doing good. Are you, you know, or who's going to be there? Like, hugging your neck when you accomplish something or uh, who's going to call you out to your face and say, I'm seeing something in your life. It's not right. Let's work on this. Or like, do you have something to tell me? I mean, all those aspects of authentic relationship, you know, of unfiltered, Hey man, we're going to get dressed together. And like, I'm going to show you my muffin top right now because, <laughs> and we're going to crack up over it rather than like trying to, Pretend like I don't have one and shoot only the best shots. I just think there's so much more. So it's like affirmation and distraction. And um, I think we all have this, this deep need to know that we matter. So I think the need for affirmation is kind of dangled in front of us. Or even intimacy. If you think of all the false ways that we look for intimacy or hope to find it, whether it's dating or promiscuity or, or even pornography, or I think it's just another way that we try and replicate something that is truly from the Lord that is making us sick. I, I've been noticing that lately. Like, why do we as humans try and replicate something that only God can create? We try, you know, we prefer air conditioning to the actual weather. We prefer pavement over grass and we mm. prefer all these, you know, racks and racks and racks of clothes at the expense of people in other countries that are working under horrible conditions. And we just prefer all this fake when real is the only thing that's going to satisfy, you know, with food. Think of all the things that we're discovering about food. And I just remember all the diet food that came out. Oh, there's this way to make nonfat butter. Well, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> but like, we yeah. all bought into it. We're yeah. all like, this is amazing. It's sugar free. And then we realized, well, actually, this fake sugar is wreaking havoc on your body. Just have the real sugar. Mm. So some of so much of it is just a, a search for what is authentic and what is real. And we're not going to find it on a screen. We're not going to find it um, putting up fronts. We're not going to find it anywhere other than... Um, you know, first and foremost, the true love that God gives, but then lining up with his idea for real intimacy. And I think that's like real community, real family, real, you know, if you're single, that's, you know, authentic relationships where you pour out and, and you serve each other and, and just kind of that early church model of like, Hey man, we're for each other. We're in each other's business. Mm -hmm. That's real. You know, you can say, well, my online communities, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know if like, that's an actual woman. That could be like some old dude posing as a woman who's like <laughs> messaging you, telling you that you're amazing. That's weird. Second it of all, happens. Yep. It's a, it totally mm -hmm. happens. It's a good, I'm not saying no one should ever have an online community. I think there is so much benefit from it. Like I love podcasts. I love blogs. I love all these things, but you, you keep them in perspective. Like that's not your actual community. And so if someone's saying, no, I'm good. This is my community. And I'm like, they don't even know where you live. That's a problem. And that's where we get lonely. And that's where we kind of sink into this funky spot. Of, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's just, it's just fake. Yeah. And, but yeah. it's, but it's like, we want it, right? Like mm -hmm. we just like, we want, we want the Sour Patch Kids and we want, you know, we want all these things that are bad for us, but that kind of give us this, this instant gratification. Like, oh, well I want to hear all my friends 
all my online friends saying, you're so amazing, or that picture is so beautiful, or look at your house, it's gorgeous. But, like, that's not going to satisfy, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's need, recognizing our, our need and our deep longing for for authentic touch and honesty and all of that. So no wonder why you guys have just taken that reality with <laughs> and made a whole church movement out of it because this is amazing. You know, and when people really get back to it's not about, you know, like you said, it's not about us, it's not about the people who started it. It's not about, it's about what what has been created because of it, all the catalysts of goodness and love and hope that have been created because these families are now functioning as a family, these church bodies are now functioning as a family. And so we hope for in all of our churches, right? But what things that distract us yeah. from real, real sure. peopling is, sure. um, you know, what, which of those things do we really need to keep and which are just because that's what churches do or something, you know, sure. but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You've touched on so many important things and just, I mean, and I know that like the spirit of God has just led you to, to unwrap all of these things and the things that are connected to our our deep-seated need and our deep longing for just for more for something mm-hmm. simple for something real for mm-hmm. people to sit with us in our grief um that's actually the, one of the last things i wanted to ask if you could affirm what kinds of things help a family who's grieving the loss of a loved mm-hmm. one and which things really didn't can you help us to understand how to interact with with grief sure. now I would say for myself and for all the people I know who have suffered loss, the most overwhelming consensus is most people harm rather than help. And it's unfortunate. I really do think so. You know, with the things that that they say and it's mostly just things that are said. So if there's like a rule of thumb and you know somebody that's, you know, suffered loss, like rule of thumb is don't say anything, <laughs> maybe just a hug. <laughs> but my other rule of thumb is um, if, if it's in person with, with the person who's hurting, mirror their, like look at their body language, mirror what they're, like what are they saying with their body language and go with that. So for example, for me, it took a long time to be able to come back to church because, you know, you just see everyone's eyes on you and they're looking at you and they're really sad. And, and maybe it just, it was hard to come out of your shell enough to come and sit in a group of people and have a chat with friends. And then once you finally get there, you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm in a good spot. It was hard for me to come out here, but here I am. I'm good. And then someone comes up to you and they have a sad look on their face and they want to like, hold you and rock you side to side and like the whole thing. And I'm like, no, you don't understand it. How hard it was to get me to a good place. I'm not going to grieve with you. Mm. So, mm-hmm. but that being said, I, everybody's different. Everybody grieves differently. I am very much, um, an independent griever. I don't grieve with my family. I don't even grieve with my husband. We both grieve independently. Mm-hmm. So it makes me uncomfortable to grieve with someone in that sense where it's super private. If I want to just cry with the Lord, I'm going to go cry with the Lord. It's just a real personal thing. But I also have to say that some people really, really get offended if you don't mention their loss. So I would say mention the loss and don't try and make it okay. Just don't try and make it okay. Don't ever say that heaven needed another angel. 
don't ever say that, <laughs> oh, well, at least the suffering is over. Don't have any statement that begins with at least, okay? Or, like, you will be drop kicked out the door. <laughs> like, just don't. There's never an at least with anything, whether it's, you know, your husband left you or your kid died or any kind of, no, there's no at least. Like, it all sucks, okay? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, don't try. And I think we're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Americans are, right? And I think it goes with the whole entitlement thing, like, we deserve the best. We deserve health and wealth and everything in between. I think um, people are afraid, well, discomfort and loss and suffering means that we might have been wrong about all this happy, clappy Jesus stuff or whatever it is. And, and I know that people have the best of intentions. They want you to be okay. So you just got to take that with a grain of salt. So if you're listening right now and you've you've suffered, you've suffered loss or any kind of, any kind of loss at all, you know, divorce or don't get mad. Just think happy thoughts. And when they're done, just say thank you so much and walk away and don't just shake it off. They mean well, people truly mean well, but we've had some pretty awful things said to us. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, later on you can laugh about it, but in the moment you're kind of like, are you kidding me right now? I have a friend whose husband died years ago. Someone asked her if they saved his sperm. Literally, um, his sperm so that you can have his baby. And she's like, are you even on the same planet as me? I don't think you are. So, you know, those kinds of things. So I would just say a hug, a squeeze of the hand. Um, don't say, what can I do for you? Because don't, don't put it on the grieving person. If you want to do something for the grieving person, make them some food, send flowers, Send a card. Those are really lovely, lovely things to do. But don't put it on the grieving person. Like, oh, what can I do for you? If you ever need anything, call me. Like, they're not going to call you. You just feel better about yourself because you just feel like you offered your help, but you didn't offer a single thing. I've done it a million times. Mm -hmm. Need anything? And I'm like, I secretly don't mean it, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's it's, seriously, I found it flying out of my mouth sometimes. And seriously, I I actually interviewed um, Sarah Beckman, who wrote the book Alongside, like how to to come alongside your name neighbor in their time of trial. And that was my first real, you know, excitement about let's teach people how to grieve the right way. Right. Yeah. And then seriously, one of the next, you know, losses somebody uh, experienced, I had all this in my mind, but seriously, it kind of like came flying out. Let me know what I can do. Uh, and I couldn't catch it because I was yeah. like, why am I yeah. preconditioned to say things right. like that? Totally. You know? I've said it so many times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but then when yeah. you're in the other place, you're like, you know, and then you're like, okay. So number one, people just want you to be okay. And that's sweet. So they might say the wrong thing, but they want you to be okay. But, yeah. but on the other hand, they also want to feel okay. Yeah. And we noticed that a lot. They feel like if they did their duty and came up and cried on our shoulders, they ought that you could tell they walk away feeling better about themselves. So just check your motive. Are you going to feel better about yourself if you approach this woman and cry on her shoulder about something? Is it for you or for her? Because it's probably not a blessing to her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need you to cry on her shoulder. So mm-hmm. if you just kind of think, what's your motive? And if you truly want to help, you say, um, I'd love to bring you some food, or you give them a you know a gift card to tacos, or uh, <laughs> or a book, or or whatever. I mean, a box of chocolate. I don't know. Like a bottle of wine. Well, something like something. Mm -hmm. And if that's, if if you have that need to help and I'm, you know what, probably err on the side of mentioning it. And I lack in this area. I definitely lack in this area because I'm more, 
hermity when it comes to grieving. I tend to not mention the person's loss, but I get out of my comfort zone and I give the hug. And never say it's okay. Mm -hmm. If you have to say something, say, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That sucks what happened to you. I love you so much. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all we want to hear. We want to just know, like, yeah, dude, that sucked. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to fix it. We're just going to say that sucks. I love you. And that's like music to the hurting person's ear. I think, in my opinion. Everyone's Mm. different. I can be different. (laughs) What about something like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry this happened. Yeah. Hug, walk away. I I mean, so sorry this happened to you. Mm -hmm. That's that's usually my refrain. I don't usually say that sucks. Unless it's a good friend. Then I'll say that. (laughs) Yeah. Unless they get where you're coming from. (laughs) You get it. Oh. (laughs) a good friend, I'm like, oh, man, that sucked bad. (laughs) You fell hard. I almost laughed, but are you okay? All right. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, Kate, so much. So what, what are you actually right now? Like this minute, this month, whatever, what are you actually enjoying in your life right now? What are you loving? I mean, honestly, this is so simple, but I love walking. (laughs) I feel like it refreshes me. And I know there's all this physiological stuff behind walking, how it actually like boosts your mood and it makes the brain work. And I'm writing another book or I have to walk before I write. So I go on walks and I love to walk like the most remote, the better. So my neighborhood, I kind of live in like a ranchy neighborhood, kind of in the foothills. And so I walked in town the other day and it was awful. I was like, what are all these cars and trains and people? I've turned into a complete hermit, but I would say walking. <laughs> Is that just the most boring answer you've ever heard? <laughs> no, I feel like I should come up with something better. Like, well, I've been doing macrame or maybe like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, so <laughs> I wish I, I had something cool. Well, I listened to you on another podcast recently and your answer there, well, given this is like almost a year ago, <laughs> Like you're in a different place. Your answer was um, uh, that you like putting floral arrangements together. I still do. I still do. I I like to decorate. I love to decorate my house. But I still love that you love to walk. Maybe you find flowers on your walk. I don't know. Maybe you do. (laughs) I walked with Fifi, and actually, this is how like we're so granola. We uh, (laughs) we walk in our neighborhood with a trash bag. Not every time. But a lot of times we do, and we pick up trash. And so my little girl loves to pick up trash in the neighborhood. And she made me this flower arrangement that was just stellar. And so it's in a glass on my, uh, above my sink. You've been listening to my interview with Kate Merrick here on the Practical Family Podcast. I had such a great time with Kate. And I pray that you were inspired through her story that any type of grief or loss that you have gone through in life, knowing that God is bigger and that He will carry you through, and that our expectations can sometimes get in the way of getting through a grieving process. I pray that your family has found hope and encouragement in Kate's message, and you can find out more about her at her website, katemerrick.com. Remember, she's not on social media, so she's not checking that, but she does check email. In the show notes and also at practicalfamily.org, we'll have links to Kate's book called And Still She Laughs, Define 
defiant joy in the depths of suffering. And don't forget to check out practicalfamily.org where you can find more tips and encouragement for healthy family living, healthy emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest if you want to check us out there. And as always, go onto iTunes and leave us a rating. We love ratings because that helps other people to find our podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Practical Family Podcast, where we are encouraging you to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Bye.